What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are going to continue our coverage of Palestine now with Yafa A.S., the executive director of the Muslim Alliance for Sexual and Gender Diversity, also a trans Muslim and displaced indigenous Palestinian. Good morning, Yafa. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Yafa, an, an argument that has emerged here in the West and in, in Europe from Zionists and others who support Israel to try to sway folks to their side is that it is imperative that women and members of the LGBTQ community support Israel. You often hear things, especially in the Bay Area, which is particularly gross, like Hamas would kill queer people or trans people. You also hear assertions that Israel has passed laws enacting protections for these groups. Is this what is called pinkwashing, and can you elaborate on that definition? Yeah, that's exactly pinkwashing. Uh, and so pinkwashing has a, a pretty deep history over the last couple of decades. And queer and trans Palestinians on the ground have been talking about it this entire time, where basically Israel has been spending billions of dollars right, on a marketing campaign to make itself seen as this queer and trans haven and utopia. Uh, and same with uh, for women and children, um, when in reality, like the state, the Zionist state of Israel doesn't even have uh, like gay marriage uh, legalized. Right. And uh, but it's this push specifically to dehumanize Palestinians further uh, when in reality, actually prior to the existence of the settler state of, of Israel, there's actually documented queer and trans culture that existed in Palestine prior to that. Uh, and so it's something that gets weaponized against us all the time. And so uh, for me as like an organizer uh, who's living in what's known as the United States right now in the Bay Area, uh, it's it's kind of interesting where I will literally receive death threats that will tell me that Hamas is going to throw me off of a building, but will also literally send me a death threat. And and people just don't, it, it, it's, it's so interesting of that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, well, we have to support this, but also we also have to kill you as a queer and trans person, but also your people will kill you. Uh, and after a while, to be honest, it almost becomes comical of like just how messed up it is. When you said that, and I don't, I don't want to digress too far, but that's yeah. the way I talk about like black folks and policing, right? Like mm-hmm. these are the people you gotta keep you safe. Yet when they come to keep you safe, they end up killing you, and then they just exactly by saying, you all kill each other, right? Like exactly. Um, <laughs> there is a shared thread of the patriarchy <laughs> and white supremacy. Um, Yafa, can you talk about the ways in which pinkwashing plays on some dangerous Islamophobic tropes? Yeah, so it it honestly plays off of like all of them, right? And so mm-hmm. it's basically utilizing this like idea that Islam inherently is going to be queer and transphobic, and and again this kind of like this paradox and uh, this paradox of. Islam hates you, and so we must hate you also in a lot of ways. And so the the actual impact that that has is it actually makes it so much harder for queer and trans Muslims in particular, or people who are racialized as Muslim, to be 
uh, to have access to any of these queer and trans spaces and the services that are offered within them. Uh, specifically, very similar to, to like interacting with cops, right? Of where if you wanna go and report something as a black person or a Muslim person or any global majority person and marginalized person, you're most likely going to be harassed by police officers just as much, much if not more so than the thing that you're reporting in the first place. So it kind of creates that kind of system, but within these larger organizations and these systems uh, just across the board. And I will say to give like a, a practical example of the lack of safety that's currently that currently exists within um, LGBTQ run spaces, uh, I I have been harassed every single time I have gone on Castro Street, uh, right? And Castro is the gay neighborhood, right? Like that's where we're supposed to be thriving. Um, and yet that's the one place in the city that I will consistently be harassed. Like I know for certain I will be if I'm wearing a kifia. Um, if I'm not wearing a kifia, then, then, then it's as if like, no one even sees that I'm there. But if I wear a kifia and people can like racialize me as Palestinian and they know where I'm from, it will always happen. It has happened every single time the last 94 days. Mm. Purple washing. We also hear um, this argument among prominent feminist organizations, mostly orgs run by white women, which for me brings up all of the issues of white-centered <laughs> feminism and the erasure of the intersectionality for women or women-identified people of color. Um, and this idea that, that Palestinian women need to be rescued from the gender-based violence of Hamas and therefore would somehow be safer with Israelis. Can you talk about how ludicrous that concept is, if you agree? that It's, <sighs> <laughs> it's very ludicrous. Uh, lots of things are ludicrous right now. Um, yeah. yeah, and so purple washing, pink washing, green washing, blue washing, there's some, the, literally they've taken the entire color of the rainbow and just created different washings as, as a part of that and just different things that they've weaponized against us. And it's interesting for me of like, people don't even hear that just saying what what you just said, that, that they say all the time, literally all the time about how like women are so unsafe, that by itself removes autonomy from, from Palestinian women in general to begin with. But beyond that, the, the whole concept of purple washing um, actually predates pink washing and purple washing is what led to pink washing, which a lot of people aren't familiar with that history. But if you go back into the women, peace and security agenda at the UN level, um, which was a great policy that was meant to really center women and help women, um, but was almost immediately weaponized against women. And so within even just the last couple of decades of even like the U.S.'s war with like Afghanistan or Iraq, the use of women as victims was centered and used as justification for those wars, right? And we know like with the Iraq war, like a million civilians were killed during those years. Uh, but women in particular were used as a form of justification. And in the early, like, 2000, like 2005 to 2010, there was kind of an international push to move away from just viewing women as victims. Um, and a lot uh, of that was kind of as a result of everything that was happening in Sri Lanka and just a lot of different things that were happening around the world. But basically this push to remove women from exclusively victims, right? Which was what was allowing places to basically say that we're going to war 
specifically to save women, right, and and children, and they kind of grouped those two together, um, that kind of started shifting. And so between those years, um, specifically within the context of like the United States, and it gets a bit more complex outside of the United States, but within the conflict of the United States, what they did is they, they linked countering violent extremism programs, um, which are specifically uh, Muslim youth surveillance programs that were launched post 9-11 to uh, basically anti-terrorist programs that primarily uh, Im impacted um, predominantly black young Muslim communities uh, and uh, where it was uh, different funding that that was given to different states and organizations to basically surveil um, specifically black, uh, black Muslims in particular. And so within that same language, they kind of began shifting the language to uh, that women can also be perpetrators, but only within that light, right? So specifically saying that black and Muslim women in particular can be perpetrators as well. And within that same, like, literally that same page within this policy is where they start talking about that now we need to go and save gay and trans people worldwide and mm -hmm. uh and trump was one of the first people to use it like really really publicly which people are surprised by because trump hated us right in every sense of the word and yet in one of his very first speeches the one that happened in arizona and we still talk about the arizona speech for other things that he said but in it, he specifically says that he needs to go and invade our countries because, to go and save the gay and trans people. And it, it's so interesting, right? Of someone who's so incredibly homophobic and transphobic to, to specifically claim that he's going to go and save the LGBTQ community while actively killing them here, but to go and kill other black and brown people. Um, and so that's where purple washing kind of moved into pink washing. They're still both very active, uh, but we've kind of moved a little bit away from that narrative of um, we're going to go and kill everyone specifically to save women. And so if you notice with, uh, with Gaza, for example, uh, pink washing has been a lot more visible Purple washing is definitely still there, um, but that's specifically because of that shift that happened over the last 10, 15 years. Yafa, I need so much more time with you and I don't have it, but I'm going to circle back because I think this is fascinating and important history um, and, and gives context to the ways in which we need to be resisting in the, in the present moment. Yafa, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. 
We all we got, fam.